Man is the only creature that refuses to be what he is. Albert Camus. Bonus quote. There's glass between us. Naomi Watts is Don Campbell from the film I Heart Huckabees. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is the forest. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a silver linings playcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. I'm your host, Jamie Ward. As far as I know, the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. I hope you had a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate or don't celebrate, and I hope you are enjoying the last day of 2021. We are recording this on December 30th, 2001. And when people look back, they're going to be like, oh, that was a great year because uh, Jamie hit his... It is not the last day of the year. It is not the last day of the year. Uh, It is the second to last day of the year because nobody got me a calendar for Christmas. So, and if they did, it's probably sitting unopened in a closet with presents from... Because I don't... Anyway, okay. Uh... (laughs) Well, that go- there goes my whole intro, then. Anyway, uh, I don't care what's going on, and my 2021 is ruined because I can't count. Welcome to the podcast. I want to talk about so many things this week. We had double, double quotes. Double quotes at the beginning. Why? You're going to find out why. One, um, because I was exposed to an amazing movie this week. Not only that, it was a movie that has a significant tie-in to what we talk about here on the Silver Linings Playcast. I watched the movie I Heart Huckabees. It is a 2004 film, and I, I, there was parts of it that were very there was there was a couple shots that were very familiar, but I, there's no way that I have seen this thing even though it felt so familiar because like I would have loved it this was amazing this was an amazing movie um Katie had been telling me about it for a couple days and then the credit the the opening title cards hit and I saw a very familiar name directed by David O. Russell do you three listeners know who David O. Russell is of course you did if you made it to episode 80 you are fully aware that David O. Russell is the director of Silver Linings Playbook and he is also the credited uh, screenplay adapter of it uh, most he he has a fantastic uh, filmography um, he is often credited by cinephiles as having one of the uh, most recent modern day runs of just really solid movies uh, because it is quite an accomplishment to go like to make several movies in a row that are all hits uh he had the fighter he had a silver linings playbook and then he had american hustle the three in a row uh which is a pretty strong run from any director especially one that writes or adapts a lot of uh his own scripts screenplays I would actually go so far back as to say um, 
Now, now I have a friend who does a podcast. Uh, if you've listened to the uh, Maison Movie Club, his standard for for what is a good movie, I believe, is seven and higher scores on IMDb. Now, uh, David O. Russell's two previous full feature-length films, if you're not counting a short film that he directed in the interim, uh, I Heart Huckabees and Three Kings both uh, have just under seven. I think it's like 6.7 and 6.9 ni.ce. But here is the thing. I think we should count it because these are also two movies that sort of have I actually, I don't know if it has cult following because I was not aware of it and I was not, uh, you know, privy to them. Three Kings, I loved that movie. I never watched it and, and knew if it was a great movie or not, but I've really enjoyed it. It's a movie that I've watched. Also, Mark Wahlberg, one of his early roles. David O. Russell clearly likes Mark Wahlberg. We're going to talk about uh, I Heart Huckabees um, in just a second, but I inadvertently used the the expression cult classic and i want to say (laughs) cults have been heavy on my mind this week because we've been watching a lot of documentaries on cults (laughs) and uh so i'm i'm starting to think that maybe if david o russell is uh, ever going to start a cult or a fandom i will be the first participant member actually i might be starting my own cult uh quick cult of matthew quick i've only read one of his books when i say read uh listen to the audiobook i was trying to start quick con this year which was going to be the first convention solely devoted to uh silver linings playbook the movie and so and the silver linings playbook the book because of covid uh that did not impact my plans i was just lazy and did not rent a hotel and plan a whole convention around it. So we're going to try it for 2022 sounds like the perfect year to have a quick con. It is 10 years after the movie came out. (gasps) I just realized that as I said that. How perfect will that be? The 10-year anniversary of Silver Linings Playbook and in coming Georgia, I'll get the conference room of some Hampton in or something. We'll invite the actors from the movie and the author out. They probably won't show up. But hey, maybe maybe if the pandemic's still raging, we can't we could probably we might be able to get Chris Tucker. I've got to know somebody that knows Chris Tucker. Uh right? Um or we could just pretend like it was a bigger thing. Anyway, look for information about QuickCon coming up early spring of 20 22. Now let's get back to talk. We could tot- that would be amazing. <laughs> There's just make sure you put a whole bunch of like cell tanner on beforehand though. I've got to look and see. Sweat it all off. I Okay. So now I'm going to have to rewind because I'm thinking of several th- so I watched <laughs> I, yes, I watched I Heart Huckabees, but I also watched uh, Into the Storm, the QAnon documentary on HBO. And wow, is my mind blown. This, this reminds me a lot about my conspiracy theory that um, there, is, there is a sort of secret order of country music fans 
this is mostly just myself, but I believe that the, like, okay, so are you familiar? Why am I asking rhetorical questions? This, uh, and, and maybe all the questions are rhetorical. This is a podcast about Silver Linings Playbook, the Silver Linings Playbook, and basically existentialist philosophy, right? So aren't all questions rhetorical, especially on a podcast? Aren't podcasts rhetorical? So there is a theory that I have. If you're familiar with the Doomsday Clock, it is a symbolic analog clock that represents how close the world is to destruction, imminent disaster. Here's my thing. It's always been like within 15 to 5 minutes from from midnight, which would be the symbolic time that experts have decided that the world would, would end. My barometer of how close the world is to ending is the status of Tim McGraw and Faith Hill's relationship. They are... They have toured together. They have performed together. Uh, they are in love with each other. I hope that is a fact. I don't know if that's true for full, full, but I like to believe it is. And so I take it as my sacred duty as a citizen of the world, as a member of the human race, to protect the integrity of their relationship. Now, this may seem like a rather <clears throat> silly thing, but I do want to point out that one of my previous guests, Nick Cassano, I was I was telling him about my conspiracy theory, and actually, actually, I don't think this qualifies as a conspiracy theory because a conspiracy theory, is, uh, the word conspiracy, really just means a lot of people working together, uh, sort of uh, under behind the scenes surreptitiously to accomplish a goal, right? And this is really, to, to date, this has just been me working by myself. Actually, I might have misunderstood how the English language works. This actually might totally be a conspiracy theory now that I think about it, because my theory is about a group of other people working. Anyway, I know I overuse the word anyway as a segue, is my little aside reminder to get back on topic. Anyway, Nick Cassano pointed out to me there is a uh, textbook company. They make little school and college textbooks, and the company is called McGraw-Hill. Look at the last names, people. McGraw, Tim McGraw, Faith Hill. McGraw Hill. These are the people that are creating the textbooks that go into the educational systems, which are taught in the public school systems, are taught in private universities, indoctrinating your kids, your children's precious minds that are so malleable at a young age. The human brain is not fully developed until it is approximately 25 years old maybe even later in males right and we are just going to let a company that calls themselves mcgraw hill <clears throat> and they have been around longer than tim mcgraw and faith hill have been married 
I believe. I have not fact-checked that, but like I said, we are not in the business of fact-checking. We are in the real estate business. We're not actually in the real estate business. This is a podcast. Anyway, I gave you guys two quotes up front from I Heart Huckabees. If you haven't seen this, this is a wonderful film. It is a 2000 film written and directed by David O. Russell. It stars uh, Jason Schwartzman, Isabel Huber, Dustin Hoffman, Lily Tomlin, Jude Law, Mark Wahlberg, Naomi Watts, just to name, and that I was naming off the people that I consider stars that are celebrities to me that I know about. Uh, there's probably more people on this list. Also, I am very excited. If you go on IMDb, uh, David O. Russell has a movie that he's working on. It is an unnamed project to be released in 2022. And here is the cast. It looks like a, a, a period piece from the four production stills that are up there, but I do not know anything about it. I But... But listen to this cast. It sounds great, okay? Anya Taylor-Joy, Margot Robbie, Christian Bale, Robert De Niro, Rami Malek, Zoe Saldana, Michael Shannon, who I did not know who that is, but apparently he was in 12 Strong, The Shape of Water, Knives Out. So uh, somebody else out there might be more familiar with him than he... Timothy Oliphant. This is the one that I'm really surprised about. Mike Myers. Mike Myers is going to be in it. So I think... Like, it's probably going to be a comedy, but it might be a little more comedic than we have seen in some of uh, D.O.R.'s latest... Uh, like, more more on I Heart Huckabees than a Silver Linings Playbook, even though I find Silver Linings Playbook to be extremely funny. In fact, I've rewatched it so many times and thought about it so many times over the years. The humor of it has really developed, so I find it funnier now than I've it even the first time and I think as you go through more life experiences and you meet more people that remind you of these different characters and life situations you can see the humor that he wrote into it I think I was probably just too young to appreciate it for its full comedic value okay more actors coming up in in the upcoming DOR project got John David Washington if you don't recognize that name uh, off off the cuff, um, you might have recognized him as the protagonist from Tenet. Uh, he is a fantastic actor. I think he is going to be like an up-and-coming star. Uh, he was so good in Tenet. What? Tenet is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. And I didn't appreciate it the first time I saw it. The first time I saw it, I, I said... This is fine. Here's the thing I hate talking about Christopher Nolan movies and that they have to be rewatched a couple times because I, I feel like that's such a cliche to say thing to say about his filmmaking. Uh, but it really is true because the way he uses cinema to play with time and space, sometimes literally the concepts of time and space, he seems to be obsessed with the concept of space, I'm sorry, not space, time, but he uses cinematography, uh, both space like uh, the area, area, framing, distance, uh, physical space, but also outer space. 
like the space space, right? Uh, Christopher Nolan did the film Interstellar, and Nick and I have gone back, you and I have gone back and forth on whether Interstellar is his best movie or if it's his most... I, I don't even want to say bad. I don't... I don't think that filmmakers always necessarily have a bad movie. Sometimes there's a couple things that happen. Some Now, it is possible to make a bad movie. But I think if we're being really objective and we're being really just sort of fair about these things, there's not that many straight-up bad movies. It's hard to assess because some of it is subjective. People have different tastes or what's good. Some bad movies become cult classics. Some movies that were bad become better over time. Some are out of context. Some are just out of place in in the time of when they came out. How many films have been not appreciated for what they should be appreciated with because they just weren't released at the right time, right? Uh, I think some of the, you know, like, like you have these trends. Vampire books were really hot in 2008, I believe. The Twilight movie came out, and there was a lot of vampire movies. And there were teen vampire shows, and then everything sort of switched a little bit. And you went through some of the other mythological creatures. Uh, witches became really popular over the last couple years. And witchcraft, sorcery. Well, you had wizards and that kind of stuff. Uh, high fantasy, I believe it is. I don't know all the, the sub-genres of fantasy. But I believe it's high fantasy uh, that... That is like Harry Potter and stuff, maybe. I know uh, you have the Wheel of Time series, Game of Thrones, Wheel of Time just coming out on Amazon. It might be currently on. I have no familiarity with what that is other than when I go to my, my library writing group and I talk to all the authors. They're all fantasy fans and they're all fantasy writers. And the Wheel of Time, when I asked them, like, hey, I'm interested in getting into fantasy genre novels, where should I start? They all say Wheel of Time. And then I look at the page count, and I'm like, I will stick to existential fiction from uh, his histor history, such as The Stranger by Camus. The Myth of Sisyphus by Camus, uh, The Little Prince by um, some uh, ex ex Jean uh, ex oh man his name Saint X anyway The Little Prince y'all know what I'm talking about um, so so the other thing that I think can make a film seem like it is not so. Okay, well, let's talk. Let's go back to this concept because we can tie this back into a Silver Linings Playbook part. Um, the the film, one of the films that was nominated the same year that Silver Linings Playbook was nominated in the Academy Awards in a lot of categories that I had not seen when I was talking to Nick in episodes three and four. I think it is is the film. 
Beast of the Southern Wild. Beast of the Southern Wild is one of the most beautiful and perfect movies I have ever seen. It's definitely one of modern day the best films I've ever seen. And by best, it's a movie that I think you definitely, you have to be in the mood for it. It's not a movie you can just put on for anybody and they will love it. But it is best, in, and I call it a perfect film because it is flawless. There is nothing wrong with it. The writing is perfect. The cinematography is perfect. The music is perfect. Uh, the writing, did I say that first? I hope I did. The acting is perfect. Everything about it is flawless. There is no, There are no mistakes with that film. The young actress... Kwavangene Wallace, who I believe was six years old when the, the movie was filmed. Six? That seems too little. There's no way she was that young. Let's, let's look this up. Uh, uh, how old was Kwavangene Wallace when Beasts of the Southern Wild was filmed. Quivangene uh, Wallace was five! She was five when she audited. That's actually younger than when. Okay. That's amazing. She should have won. She should have won every acting award. And you all know this. This is there if there was ever any other film thing that I should be talking about other than Silver Linings Playbook, every film podcast and show should talk about Quivangene Wallace's performance in Beasts of the Southern Wild. It took a long time to film and it took a longer time to release because apparently she was seven by the time filming ended but was five when she auditioned so i think she was six for most for majority of the filming that's where i got that in my head and her performance is so good here's the thing a lot of times kids get credit for like oh you're a kid you're in this role good job i think um, I have not watched The Sixth Sense in a really long time. I don't know if this is true or not. I don't, and, and by that I mean I don't know if I would feel this way. But my instincts tells me that I don't think uh, Haley Joel Osment's performance in the. I think it was good. I am not trying to take away from him at all I think he hit some very difficult uh, acting um, I don't know highs and lows in his performance I think he had amazing range as a child actor that's probably not a good example let's not go with that one let's just say another child actor let's um, let's go with Home Alone, maybe? How old was Macaulay Culkin? Um, uh, when Home Alone was filmed. How old... 
was he was eight. Okay, so Macaulay Culkin was eight. Wait, no. Let's say Macaulay Culkin. His his character Kevin McAllister was eight in the movie Home Alone, but Macaulay Culkin was ten years old. And that is sort of like a classic movie for most people from my generation's childhood. And I think looking back, you can even say he did a he did a great job. Um, he's mischievous, comedically funny, uh, ha- hits hits the sort of emotional moments. Great. All I all I can say, we're n- we're not going to disparage anybody's performance on this podcast. We are just going to sing the praises of superior performances. Quavanjane Wallace, straight up best child actor performance I've ever seen. But not just because she was young. It's a freaking amazing movie. It's an amazing movie. I am then sitting here singing the praises of Beasts of the Southern Wild when it's not even the non-Silver Linings Playbook movie that I am attempting to talk about. Go watch it. Let's get back to the other thing that I was trying to talk about that is still an aside because I have a whole bunch of notes that I'm supposed to get to. I have scripted this episode out and we're not even close to talking about it yet. Uh, but okay, so one of the other things that I think can ruin uh, a movie is the release in order that it came out, right? So sometimes a filmmaker will make movies and they'll make a movie that is still good. And if it came out at a different point in their career, if like sometimes you have to take the the context of of all their works together, right? And so I think that's part of where I think that it is really very debatable about whether, one, whether Interstellar is Nolan's weirdest, or like Nick thinks maybe one of his, he, he says it's up there. I don't think Nick has committed to saying Interstellar is the best Nolan, but it's very high up there. And Nolan has a stellar career. He has, it's hard to pick like which, what is the worst Nolan movie yet? Is it is it Dunkirk? I don't know. Um, and Dunkirk is a fantastic movie. Um, it's uh, let's. I'm just going off the first list I could find. Um, it's the Stanford Daily. Literally no idea what this website is but okay so but they're ranking 11 nolan movies 11 the worst following that's also his first movie ever it was a six thousand dollar budget it's like an amateur movie and i've heard that it's pretty interesting i've never seen it uh but if that is your worst movie like good for you insomnia a 2002 movie have not actually seen it but uh, I, I, I'm just going to pretend like it's probably good too. Who knows? The Dark Knight Rises. The Dark Knight Rises number nine being one of his worst in, in a 
great move. Okay, so now you've got a couple things going on with the Dark Knight Rises. One, you've lost Heath Ledger. You were going into... You have made what is arguably one of the best superhero movies of all time. Now, I'm huge Dark Knight fan. That does not mean I think it is the best superhero movie of all time. I'm not even sure. I don't even think about it. Marvel has burned me out on superhero movies so much that I can't even think about it, nor do I want to get into that discussion. I probably am partial to just the first, uh, the Tim Burton Batman. I super enjoy it, and I think it is so solid for what it's doing. And I've often held the opinion that maybe uh, The Dark Knight is an even better film, cinema film, than it is comic book film, Batman film. If if the superhero, if the hero of it, the protagonist had not been Batman, would have been an equally great film. Getting way too off track, Batman Begins, number eight, according to this ranking, Stanford Daily. I hope this is not like a crazy QAnon site. Or maybe they do, because I have no listeners, so that might increase my, I don't, you know... I really don't know. Uh, I don't have a lot of integrity on this podcast. Number eight, Batman Begins. Number seven. Oh, they put Tenet at number seven. So I clear. I don't know if I like this. And Interstellar is number six. So it's saying Interstellar is a little better than Tenet, and I think that is. Um, hmm. I would debate that preference wise but I'm not sure I would debate that film making wise okay anyway and now they got Dunkirk at number 5 which I completely don't agree with but again we're just ranking like how good are these not how bad are they right number 4 Memento which I think is very and that's I feel like that has to be in I would put Memento in his top three because that is a lot of what introduced people to Christopher Nolan. It's what introduced me to Christopher Nolan. It is a movie that I still cite a little bit. Um, it sort of was... I used the term Memento, and I think a lot of people did, for any film that was sort of like shown backwards in reverse order. Um, number three, Inception, which I think is a... It's a solid placement for that. Inception Inception is one of my favorites. I don't know if it's one of his best, but it was it was definitely one of the it was one of the first times he got he got his full Christopher Nolan budget but also got to make a total a, an original uh film, not not a Dark Knight. No. Number 2 is The Dark Knight and number 1 is The Prestige. I while I don't totally agree with that list, I'm totally fine with it. Okay, here's what we needed to do. We should have gone to the... We're on the Rotten Tomato ranking. Oh, wow. And the Rotten Tomato rankings has Tenet at number 11 with a 69% tomato. Nice tomato. And... Interstellar at number 10. So these are all placed together with number 70 with 72% fresh rating. 
Oh, so I guess Tenant just meant, I guess that's their, 70 is their threshold for fresh or not. So Tenant missed it by one point. So if your worst film has a, is just missing great by one percentage, that is not a bad career. Also, like, it is well worth, uh, now Nick and I have been discussing other theories about Rotten Tomato ratings altogether, too. I find this funny that Tenet and Interstellar are ranked in the same order and placed together on the list, but I think, I think for similar reasons. I think they're misunderstood the most. They play more with time as a concept than, than even just within the span of the film, right? Memento plays with the concept of time, but it only play, it's only messing with time so far as the story is being told out of order and in reverse. But the character, the, the protagonist of Memento is also just like, he is suffering from that amnesia, that condition that makes him not able to keep things in order and remember things. So I think the disjointedness of the storytelling really lends itself to an audience that doesn't want to think too hard or critically about a film. They're like, the character in Memento is lost, but he's supposed to be lost. I understand he's lost. Let's be lost with him and enjoy it. Whereas Tenet, they explain all these rules about time and, and manipulation and same, same in Interstellar. And these concepts are understood by the characters because they're scientists and they're really smart people and they're brilliantly written and i just think i think everybody is totally wrong about this now this is very interesting the number nine third from the worst nolan film according to rotten tomatoes ranking is the prestige which was number one on that other list number eight the following number seven batman begins this is weird they're playing batman so the dark knight rises must be way higher Number Batman Begins, number 7, with 84% fresh. Inception, number 6, with 87%. Tied at number 5 with The Dark Knight Rises, 87%. I kind of, oddly, I kind of agree with Inception and The Dark Knight Rises being... Linked to, I've I need to rewatch The Dark Knight Rises. I've only seen it once, ever. They put Insomnia at number four, which is way higher because it was one of the low ones on the other list. Dunkirk is number three, number two you have Memento, and number one, The Dark Knight. So I really don't understand how this rank. Let's go to one more ranking. I know this is not what we're supposed to be talking about at all, but we're gonna do this just because I do not like the consensus of the last two lists. So let's rearrange this list. We are on The Manual, another website I have no idea about. A number 10 we have following, which again, I think your, your first film that's basically like an art film is never gonna be, it's only 69 minutes. I'm not gonna make the joke three times in the same podcast. But number nice, okay. Uh, number nine <laughs> is Tenet. Nobody likes Tenet was great. You didn't understand it, you idiots. It was a fantastic movie. You don't even have to understand something to understand it. Everybody was 
gorgeous. It just just watch it with the sound off. I know that the sound mixing was a big problem with people. You were all stupid. Go back and watch Tenet, and if you don't understand it, don't rate it because you're idiots. Number eight, The Dark Knight Rises. This this is okay. So this is the first list that doesn't put Interstellar and Tenet together. Dark, we're just going to speed through this because we this is not a Christopher Nolan podcast. Uh, number seven, Inception. Number six, Interstellar. That's weird. Number five, Batman Begins. Number four, The Dark Knight. Number three, Dunkirk. Number two, Memento. And number one, The Prestige. Okay, so two out of three lists put The Prestige as the first one. And I, uh, while I don't agree I don't, I would not have done that myself. Uh, I don't disagree with it, too. That's the point. Uh, let's backtrack way, way much. Dave, Dave, John David Washington. Okay. Uh, if you guys remember what I was even talking about, I was talking about the cast of the upcoming uh, David O. Russell film that's going to be released in 2002. Taylor Swift and Chris Rock. That's the last two notable cast members that I wanted to... Okay, so now that we are over halfway through the podcast, let me get to the original topic. I just watched the movie, I Heart Huckabees, and it was absolutely amazing. It was an existential philosophy film, 2004. I'm I'm actually probably going to do like a two-part on this because I wanted to make some assessments of this film without having done any research. All I've done is watch the film one time through myself and Katie and I discussed it very briefly compared to how we have discussed other films uh, because it was less than four hours wide. We watched the whole thing straight through. We might have paused it like twice or something. Uh, and that was probably more pee related that never, uh, this, I am overstepping my balance. Not okay. Backtrack edit. I'm not, I've never edited this thing in my life. Anyway, uh, let's look at David O. Russell's movies. I think this is really interesting because he, I think he likes to explore different disciplines with his movie. I There is clearly a lot that has to do with psychology. Silver Linings Playbook is a movie, is a story about psychology. It is about uh, psychological conditions. Each character represents a different, uh, for better word, um, non-baseline uh, mental condition quirk you have you know um, so I Heart Huckabee's a 2004 film is sort of like the same thing but I believe instead of representing different psychological conditions the characters represent different philosophical uh, beliefs and stuff and then you have the the films American Hustle and The Fighter, where he's really exploring... I'm going out on a limb here, but I'm sociology. Because they're very much about relationships and human interactions with one another, how people interact. Um, I'm sure if I went deeper into David O. Russell's movies, he really likes exploring these different topics. Now, I... Posing the theory this week on research, and we'll follow up with some seeing if other people have done any research into. Well, actually, I want to address the reason. Actually, let me look up the actual score this has. Uh, we're gonna go off of IMDb and um, 
Rotten Tomatoes just as our baseline for film rankings because most people are familiar with those. Okay, so Iron Huckabees has a 6.6 .6 out of 10 on IMDb. I don't understand it, you're stupid. Exactly. <laughs> this that's what I want to yell at everybody. It's it's the tenant of his career. Um I'm sorry if if uh like like guess what? I watched it once and I don't completely understand it. I'm probably going to have to watch this movie more than one time. One it's super fun. I told you the cast at the beginning of it. Uh, I think you may have already seen it or not. But, like, I get it. So Nick and I were talking about the fact that I that Rotten Tomatoes is a great way to know if a movie that is supposed to be for mass markets is good as a mass market movie. Rotten, Tomato, Rotten Tomatoes is a great barometer like for saying which is the best fast and furious film they'll probably be right on that they'll probably be like uh too fast too furious is right or everybody's favorite the third one tokyo Dr i'm only saying that as the only one that's got a weird name i'm not saying that because i'm asian uh i'm saying that there's are there nine now there's like nine fast and furious and guess what keep making them if you want people have fun Movies are about having fun sometimes. Every film does not have to be Citizen Kane. If Hollywood wants to keep making them and people are enjoying them, they are n like the Fast and Furious movies are not responsible for the downfall of Western culture. They're just some mindless fun with people racing in pretty cars. Like, let them enjoy that without hating on these things being the way they are, right? But, but what I'm what we were saying was there's definitely different things that cinema is trying to create. You have films and and movies. And movies are things that I think are uh, you know, they can end up being both. There's there's definitely room for something to be a great film and a fun film. But people make movies to entertain, to give people an escape from their daily lives. To give them 90 minutes to 2 hours of just sitting back and watching a fun story or something that moves them. And then you have film, which is using a medium of recording pictures with sounds. And I, th I think sometimes that's when you're trying to tell something more. Uh, right? The, the movie I was yelling about earlier, Beasts of the Southern Wild, that's a great example of a movie and a film fast and furious our movie so so nick's theory is that rotten tomatoes is great at saying if a movie is good as a movie all right so it's saying if you are an average film goer if you do not uh love breaking down movies for their subtext if you don't and it doesn't mean you don't have to but it's just saying like the public will enjoy this movie or not enjoy this movie. Thumbs up from a random Nielsen rating audience member. Movies that have niche audiences or have like very specific, uh, anything that is that is gonna require subtext, all the movies that you might hear people say, oh, I had to watch that a second time to fully understand it, they typically get lower scores. And that does not mean they're bad. A lot of the cult classic movies have really low scores because they didn't, um, just the aggregate score of all the people that, that saw something and got angry, they go on and there's like zero, zero tomatoes or I don't know how, 
I, it's a number of tomatoes, right? That percentage. ranking is it a percentage? Yeah, if that, it's below a certain percentage, it has a little green splat. That ranking it. system has never made sense to me. Like, if you have less than seventy percent tomatoes. Wait, okay, we're about to take a Nolan-y take on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't understand. To oh, okay. Hold up, everybody. I want you to think about this. Rotten Tomatoes is for ranking movies. IMDb is for ranking films. Think about that in your heads. If you have opinions or other theories about movie rankings, hit me up, silverliningsplaycast at gmail.com. This is our 80th episode, and nobody has ever emailed me. That's okay. It's going to happen one day. It's going to happen one day. Uh, so the movie, I Heart Huckabees, is the story of a man who, a young man who is an environmentalist. It is he, Jason Schwartzman plays an environmentalist who is having an uh, it's 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 great writing because it's not given this uh, they don't give him this just generic existential breakdown they talk about he's having a a coincidence that he keeps running into it, it is like an existentialist questioning but uh, they really make a plot out of it right so that is why David O. Russell is such a great filmmaker and writer because one of the flaws of so many young writers and so many people that will never write anything that is good, they can think of a lot of the ideas that they want to create, but they fail to create a story. That is one of the most important points that got uh, just, just hammered into my head with every writing class and and way that I've learned podcast book on how to write a story. They're like, what is the story you're trying to tell? And young film students will always be like, oh, well, I want, I want to make this movie. And, and the point is, like, it's going to, you know, show, show that racism or it's going to show that sexism is like, and that's great. That is a very noble desire to have in your art, but you really need to learn how to construct that art as well. Like, don't, there, there's a saying in comedy, and one of the famous comics said it, I don't remember who it, who it was, um, but it's like, don't, uh, don't make your, your act more serious than it is funny. Like, everybody wants to rush to be George Carlin, uh, and, and just, like, have that message, too. But, like, if, you, if you're going to have a message without punchlines, don't be a stand-up comic. Go be a slam poet. And I'm sorry to, to, I'm not trying to just say that slam poetry is easy either. It's a very, like, respect whatever craft you're going to, to specialize in. If you, if you go, um, just kill the mosquito. That's right. We're recording in Louisiana. And, uh, absolutely. They have some of the largest bloodsuckers I've ever seen around here. And there are mosquitoes all over the place as well. Bum, bum. Ah! You guys aren't going to listen to any of the philosophy I said either. Oh, is that? That's... It's the Mod Podge. That's the Mod mod, mod Podge being shook in the back. <laughs> and that is some macaroni being stirred. No, okay. Sorry. No, no. It's perfect. Jason. I'm having a coincidence. So, it is a coincidence. Oh, my. Oh, so I didn't... <laughs> I'm too stupid to understand 
a tomato ranking, but I understand IMDb's ranking because I am a pretentious film cinephile that, that like, I don't know. Here's the thing. I, the reason I sucked in, in film school was because I really still enjoy movies, too. One of my favorite movies, uh, it's, it's, it's stupid to say this. So I think when Facebook first started, I think some of my favorite movies, because you used to, like, post your top five favorite things is, and I know I had a rotating list, but uh, you all probably know this over the time, and I, I just re, re-say different ones. Goodfellas is always up there. Mary Poppins is very high up there. Everyone Says I Love You. Evita. Uh, that's three musicals out of five. That's a lot. Um, the Lion King. Uh... Top Gun, uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild is probably would be put up there. Now, if I was redoing it, um, no, what? Why am I leaving? Silver Linings Playbook would be on that list now. How could I? Well, maybe because I don't see it as a movie anymore. It's a cult. It might only be a cult of one, but that's how cults start. A cult. They're a cult. Is there a difference between occult or cult? Cult. The occult. The occult. If you guys remember, I'm sorry I keep saying you guys, one, I could just literally list y'all off by name. Oh, we got, we got it. Let me get back to my script. So Jason Schwartzman plays this character, and part of the reason that I had the quote at the beginning by Albert Camus, which is great, you guys know I've... Shut up, y'all. Y'all aren't talking. I'm talking. Okay, okay. Albert Camus is somebody that I have referenced many times in this. And I'd never read the quote by him before. But he was totally an existentialist philosopher. And I love him because he, he he shows up on lists of philosophers. But I don't think... He was a writer. He wrote stories. He did exactly what I was talking about, about what David O. Russell... David O. Russell is the Albert Camus of uh, filmmaking now, of not uh, occupied Algeria, or wherever the history was. Go back and listen to previous episodes. So the reason I looked up Albert, or I mentioned Albert Camus, is because Jason Schwartzman's character is named Albert in the film. And he is the one that is really the protagonist of the film... And he is having a crisis of existentialism. We're going to say it like that. He goes to an existential detective agency and he's trying to understand the madness of the world. Now, was, the, was his name an intentional allusion to Albert Camus? I'm posing that as one of my theories because there is a lot of similarity that I see to him and the uh, the character of uh, Merceau in Camus' most famous book, The Stranger. Uh, Merceau is a person that is going about his daily life and then starts to have... Am I remembering this wrong? I'm going off of my memory only from little school. I think Merceau has a coincidence with uh, characters that are appearing to him and he starts questioning whether there's there's a Frenchman, right? There's like a cigarette smoking Frenchman or something like that. I, like I said, I, I will do some research and 
find this out for next week, but I wanted to make my guesses. I wanted to make my own uh, philosophical analysis of the film just for fun, and then we'll see how well I did. I also have a theory that there, there ends up being sort of like three people that are going to this detective agency, right? You have Jude Law's character, you have Jason Schwartzman's character, and you have Mark Wahlberg. I want to pose the theory that, in fact, there is only one person going through uh, this existential crisis, and the three characters are uh, Freud's id, ego, and superego, all dealing with their situation. And I am going to read you guys quick definitions so that we can all be on the same page about what these are, and believe me, I'm not super smart. I didn't even read these before. I'm just going off little school memory again. I've never taken a psychology course. So we're all going to make this revelation at the same time. Id. The id is the instinctual component of personality that is present at birth, and it is the source of bodily need and wants, emotional impulses and desires, especially aggression and the libido, sex drive. The id acts according to the pleasure principle, the psychic force oriented to immediate gratification to impulse and desire. Also, they use the word oriented, and that is one of my favorite words. Not one of my favorite words. My favorite words are serendipitous, passion, and tertiary, but oriented is one of my favorite words that I have often messed up. I have said the word orientate, orientated, orientate. I have said the word orientate for years. For some reason, a lot of people in the military say orientate, and then we all have NCOs that are like, there ain't no such word as orientate. It's orient. Uh, no, wait, not orient. Not oriented. orient. Orient is a place. Orient. Wait, I can't even remember what. Oriented, how, not oriented. 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 That's correct. Oriented. Um, that is right. I So I don't have a production assistant on my podcast like all those famous podcasters, but you know what I have? A sexy human thesaurus who knows way more words than I do. And... I've been rambling straight for like 53 minutes and see that that's how good her vocabulary is. I just got thrown. We're back on track. We're orientated. The other one, um, oriented or, ah, <laughs> oriented, oriented, uh, there is another word that always gets misused and it's, it has to do with maps two doesn't matter we're going you all know orientated what the is with maps. orientated is is, is geographical <laughs> but the orient is on maps that is where i am from that but it is not the people it is the place that i i'm gonna cancel myself on that ego the ego, Latin for German, acts according to the reality principle. It seeks to pleasure, to please the id's drive in realistic ways that in the long term bring benefit rather than grief at the same time. Freud concedes that as the ego attempts to mediate between id and reality is often obliged to cloak the unconscious commands of the id and its own uh, pre-conscious rationalizations to conceal the id's conflicts with reality, to profess to be taken notice of reality even when the id has remained rigid and unyielding. 
the reality principle that operates the ego is regulating mechanism that enables the individual to delay gratifying immediate needs and function effectively in the real world an example would be to resist the urge to grab another person's belongings but instead purchase those <laughs> belongings <laughs> okay and super ego the superego, German, uberlich, reflects the internalization of cultural rules, mainly taught by parents applying their guidance and influence. Freud developed this concept of the superego from the earlier combination of the ego ideal and the special psychical agency which performs the task of seeing the... Okay, in layman's terms, and I'm stealing this from a third website, it was saying that... Basically, the I did not write it down in my notes. So my those characters, I I have a theory that maybe they are the three different parts of consciousness, representing, um, and the conflict between them. Now that I have read the definitions of these things, it would be really interesting to go back and watch. Uh, because um, all the characters have like so, like very different and distinct uh, characteristics um, and their personality traits, and yet there's like because of the plot, they're all sort of put together doing these similar things. And I still, oh, I I just wanted to bring up Interstellar one more second there. I, ha I didn't watch Interstellar till like eight years after the movie came out. Had I watched it and been more topical, I totally would have made a meme where where Matthew McConaughey is watching his daughter through through the wormhole and he sees in the past. And I would have captioned it with, I keep getting older and she stays the same age. Because that's what Christopher Nolan really set us up for. Also, that his daughter, worst character name in all of filmdom. Her name is Murph. And I hate that so much. Can you open this? What? Yes, I can. <laughs> no, you probably can't. <laughs> no, I, um, for the listeners, I just opened a really tight jar I just applied moisturizer to my hands oh. it's, it's, I'm gonna get it I'm, I can get it I can get it I can it's probably literally good shit I might have to beat it with a hammer <laughs> wait oh, did you loosen it for real I f so my original problem with that movie was TARS the, and the, the droid but Nick and I have discussed that I've listened to the blank check about Interstellar. I've come... Hold on, I am actually going to edit that out. I'm actually... I'm, I'm not going to edit because I... You know, why would I start editing? I just... If you if you ever make the statement... I come I like that so that. strong that... Um, yeah, you really need to follow up with the rest of your sentence in pretty... Uh, swiftly. So, oh, I, I heard a sound. There's a crackle. Uh, I think it's moving. I think I it's moving. I feel like it's moving. It is, it is moving. moving. It's just, like there's. Oh, it moved. It, <gasps> it actually is. There's. It's. It's, it's like. 
Yeah, so it's still getting friction and stuff in there. Like, it's okay, you can break it open. And go, but, oh, you got it. Oh my god. You got it. So, so it is open. I, I did get the jar. I was kidding earlier. Also, yeah, has her gear. that is, uh, I don't have time to get into all the other things that I was about to, because we were about to, to talk about the different disciplines. Um, anyway, that, okay, well, let's, hmm. I'm just Oh so, no, <laughs> she almost just put her paw directly in the mouth. We're... <laughs> We're gonna go deal with Mod Podge right now. Oh, I remember I remember Conrad's old joke. By the way, uh, everybody say hey to Conrad. He just made it to Salt Lake City. I don't know if he made it there. He le- he should have made it by now. If he didn't, he's dead. Uh, but um, I could probably text him, but we just we just trust each other to stay alive or not. I don't that's weird. Oh! It's his birthday tomorrow. Uh, which I knew because he's like my best friend um, with all the other people. I'm just being annoyed now. That was a terrible sound effect. That was, it, it was supposed I'm to be, gonna, it sounded like popcorn know, kind right? of. It, was a, it said a very small crowd clapping. I did. <laughs> There's a cat playing. Yeah, that. That is a toddler. That is a kid. That was a cat on a piano, which is how we're gonna play ourselves out this week. So let me know if you've seen I Heard Huckabees. Do you have any theories about what the philosophical themes of it are? Uh, Also, there's a character named Tommy, played by Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg doesn't show up in Silver Linings Playbook. Let's just say hypothetical. Oh, wait, that was one of the fun facts. David O. Russell wanted to cast Mark Wahlberg originally, which now makes sense if you think about every other David O. Russell movie, which would have... I actually... When I read that fact, I thought that was a terrible idea, but now looking at the the rapport that uh, David and Mark have... He probably could have gotten an interesting performance oh out of there. Oh my goodness. But what if they're related? Well, okay. The movies are related. Also, so this is the interesting part. Mark Wahlberg's character is named Tommy in I Heart Huckabee's. Uh, Tiffany's dead husband's name is Tommy. So uh, I kept thinking about that every uh, time. What if he is the dead husband or something? What? We're, we're going to have a billion theories to discuss next week if I can stay on track and not go over all the different ratings of uh, Dave, of, of Christopher Nolan films which have nothing to do with Silver Linings Playbook, uh, the movie. So think about those things. I hope you guys have a great New Year's Eve, which is not until tomorrow. Tomorrow is actually the last day of the year. Uh so tune in next week and every week as long as we keep doing this and next time until next time we will see you down the road and excelsior he's kind of crazy she's a little insane keeping energy really messes with his brain one is divorced the other's husband is dead that's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a silver linings play cast.